0: Welcome to Leading Lights, you're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey.
1: You know there's a big difference between facts and feelings and fables and sometimes we get very confused in Christianity between those three. Many people think that Christianity is a fable Many people think it's all about feelings and emotions. And if you feel this, that's fine, but I feel different. And other people think it's about facts. And Easter is a brilliant time to try and summarize and clarify, what is it? Is it a fact? Is it a feeling? Is it a fable? Or where in the middle of all of those does Christianity and Easter lie? You know, I remember a fact. In December, 1989, I was playing volleyball for my country, Zimbabwe, in a tournament of six nations. There was Malawi, Zambia, Mozambique, and a few other countries and Zimbabwe, and we were playing a volleyball tournament in December 1989. I was in the Zimbabwe B team, It was being hosted in Zimbabwe, and so we were allowed to put two teams in. We had an A team, which were the best and the brightest. I don't know if you've ever seen volleyball players, but they're long and tall and skinny, and they've got an angry look on their face, and that was the A team. The B team, we were the second string. We were the ones who didn't quite make it. We weren't quite as tall as lean or as mean and something astounding happened. In the playoffs, in the process of the tournament, the Zimbabwe B team was beating the Zimbabwe A team. We'd beaten more of the other countries, and when it came to the head-to-head match between Zimbabwe A and Zimbabwe B, we got to the place where we were at match point, and we were about to beat them. Now these are the facts, people the feelings and the fables came later what happened was a timeout was called whistle timeout the management of the Zimbabwe volleyball team are looking panicked and they call a timeout they call us off to the side and they say to us guys well done B team you're playing so well but you got to let the A team win they're taller They're leaner and they're meaner, and they're gonna go further in this competition. It would be a disaster if you guys won. And then the feelings started coming out. And one guy said, I have sacrificed so much to play this game, I'm not gonna lose. Another guy said, guys, it's for the good of the team and the country, we gotta put them first and we gotta let them win. Another guy said, this is illegal. You're not allowed to throw a game. It's against the rules. And it came down to one guy who was serving he had to make the choice because it was a sudden death match and if he served it into the net the point would go to the other team and then it was very likely they would win and and the A team would win and if he didn't if he served properly it was very likely we would win the B team and all of us had different opinions the feelings were all over the place you could sense the emotion The anger, the fear on the A-team's faces was wonderful to behold. (laughs) And the guy serving decided to serve it into the net. Very obviously so. He served a dud serve on purpose and the A-team won. And then the fables began. And for years after that, people were talking about, man, do you remember that time we tricked them and we did that dummy set and that half spike and a... Beat them completely, and they were completely confused by us. And do you remember this? And the fables started growing bigger and bigger until it was this big legendary match where we crushed Goliath, us little Davids. There is a fact that happened in history 2,000 odd years ago in April or March uh, 30 AD, where a man called Jesus was crucified. And various lawyers have made some statements about this that you may be surprised to hear. I'm going to read you a couple of the statements. First of all, there was a famous scholar called Brooke Foss Westcott who said, There is no historic incident better or more variously supported than the resurrection of Christ. Now, that is just a crazy thing to say. He's saying, No historical event. The, the Battle of Waterloo, um, great earthquakes that have happened in the past, famines, diseases, kings living and dying. He said there is no historical event that is better supported than the resurrection of Jesus, not the death of Jesus, the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. I mean, what a crazy thing to say. He's taking it out of the realm of fable out of the realm of feelings and he's putting it squarely in the realm of fact. Is that right? I thought, I thought religion was all about touchy-feely stuff. You be the judge. You make your verdict. Today we're in a court of law because a court of law happens. A court case happens where there are two people with different versions of the facts Their feelings are very different and fables have started to grow and a judge is called in to make a determination on the facts. There was a man called Dr. Simon Greenleaf. He wrote a book called A Treatise on the Law of Evidence which has been called the greatest single authority in the entire literature of legal procedure. The US judicial system today still relies on rules of evidence established by him. While he was teaching law at Harvard, he challenged his class. He said, the resurrection of Jesus is a fable. And three of his students said, use your laws of evidence to test it. And he wrote this after doing an extensive uh, investigation. He said, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Than for just about any other event in history. That is extraordinary. I I hadn't heard this stuff. I thought it was all feelings and fables. Isn't that amazing? And then there's one other man. His name is Sir Lionel Luku. He was knighted by the Queen twice. He died uh, close to the year 2000. But he was an amazing trial lawyer. He was in the Guinness Book of Records for being the most successful trial lawyer in the world. He won 245 cases in a row and he, w- he had a place in the Guinness Book of Records. Sir Lionel Luku. And this is what he said. I have spent more than 42 years as a defense trial lawyer, appearing in many parts of the world and I am still in active practice. I have been fortunate to secure a number of successes in jury trials 245 and I say unequivocally the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. Now we are very fortunate today to have a brilliant lawyer in myself and to have three witnesses from the resurrection of Christ. Isn't that great? That's a fable. We don't have them. I'm lying. (laughs) But we can pretend. And so I would like to call to the stand our first witness. And you, the members of the jury, are going to make your decision. And I want to say that it's a life or death decision. Not somebody else's, but your own. Because this evidence is the most important evidence you will ever hear in your life. So I'd like to call our first witness, Claudius the Centurion, please.
2: Please state your name for the record. My name is Claudius. I'm a Roman soldier, a centurion. I was stationed in Jerusalem around 30 AD. Please can you describe the events surrounding the arrest and execution of Jesus Christ. Jesus was brought to us by the Jewish authorities very early on the morning of the Jewish Passover festival day. He'd been up all night with no food or water and he was already very weak. We treated him like we treat all criminals. He was whipped very severely. We spat on him, mocked him, beat him, and we pushed thorns into his head. Uh, Did he have a trial? The Jewish authorities, Herod and our Roman governor, Pilate, all sentenced him to death. I don't know what he did. It's my job to execute people, not to know what they've done. And were you present when he died? He was crucified in the normal way, but his death death was unusual. He seemed to be in full control of himself right until the end. He was saying some wise and beautiful things, seemed to decide to give up his last breath with passion and dignity. Hmm. And um, was there anything else significant about,
1: about his death that you can remember, Claudius?
2: Well, there was a lot going on. The people around him were visibly affected. They left in tears when he died, and one of the criminals being crucified with him became his follower right there on the cross. There was also an earthquake when he died and a long solar eclipse. It was all very unusual. And did you break his legs in the normal way to speed up his death? No, it wasn't necessary. He was already dead. I plunged my spear into his heart and blood and water came out showing he was dead. This was about 3 p.m. Did any of the other soldiers present say anything? One of them said, truly, this was the son of God. Thank you, Claudius. Then what happened? The body was taken away by two Jewish men and they buried it with a large amount of spices and cloth wrapped around it. The grave was a cave with a large stone rolled across the entrance to close it off. I and five other soldiers were instructed to seal the tomb with a Roman seal and guard it so no one could steal the body. Hmm. And was he definitely dead? We don't make mistakes. And was he definitely buried? Oh, yes. So where is the body now, Claudius? Well, some of his disciples stole the body.
1: Stole the body. How how much were you paid to say this, Claudius? No comment. What would be the normal penalty for you failing to protect the tomb correctly? Death. Okay, one more question, Claudius. Did you persecute and arrest any of Jesus' followers later on after
2: this event? Yes, for many years we chased them down, but we gave them opportunities to admit that Jesus had not really risen again. But they always held to their stories, even though they knew they would die as a result. All they had to do was admit he hadn't really risen again and we would have spared them, but they all chose death rather than changing their story.
1: Thank you, Claudius, no further questions, you may sit. I'd like to call my second witness, Mary Magdalene. Good morning, please would you state your name and occupation for the court.
0: My name is Mary Magdalene. I'm a servant of Jesus. How did you meet Jesus, Mary? He came to my home city, Magdala. It was a depraved and sinful place. He found me, forgave me, and he set me free from seven demons. And he gave me a new direction and purpose in life.
1: And were you there when he died, Mary?
0: Yes, I watched him die. And I watched Joseph and Nicodemus take his body off the cross, wrap it in 75 pounds of spices, and put it in the rock tomb. I also watched the Roman soldiers seal the tomb and guard it. And what happened on the Sunday morning? Early on the Sunday morning, two of us went down to the tomb. We were very surprised that the stone was rolled away and the Roman guards were no longer there. We found the tomb empty. While I was standing outside the tomb crying, a man came up behind me while I was weeping and asked what was wrong. And I said to him, I I thought he was a caretaker or or a gardener. And I said, Sir, if you have taken his body, if you have carried him away, please just give him him to me. But then he said my name, Mary, and I knew it was him. My world turned upside down. Just in the way he said my name, I knew it was Jesus. I wiped away my tears and I looked at him and I started worshipping and I've been serving him ever since.
1: You speak as if he's still still alive. Did you see him again after that first Sunday morning?
0: Yes, he appeared to us all several times over the next six weeks. At one time there were 500 of us gathered together and he appeared to all of us and most of those eyewitnesses have remained alive for decades after that day, even after he ascended to heaven. I gave my life and my heart to him and I talk to him every day.
1: Thank you, Mary, there's no further questions. I'd like to call my last witness, Peter. Please state your name and occupation for the court.
3: I am Peter, I am a fisherman by trade, but I've worked as a preacher and a servant of Jesus
1: since I met him. Now you were a follower of Jesus, but when he was arrested, your state of mind was affected. Am I right? Can you describe how you felt? Well, when Jesus was arrested,
3: I let him down by denying I even knew him. I didn't stand up for him, and I was devastated when he was crucified. I actually decided to go back to fishing because I thought I had denied everything I stood for. And I was terrified that I would also be arrested and executed.
1: Why was it such a big deal that you denied him?
3: Well, I had promised him that I would die with him if necessary and that I would never leave him or let him down. But you did let him down. Yes. I was cowardly and afraid. I denied and deserted him but he forgave
1: me. Are you saying that you saw and spoke to him after he was killed? Yes,
3: he rose again, and he appeared to me and many others several times, and he forgave me, and he recommissioned me.
1: The soldiers are saying that you stole the body from the tomb, what do you say to that?
3: No, no, we we were all terrified and hiding. We were no match for the Roman guard protecting the tomb. They would never have allowed us to steal the body. And if they had, they would all have been executed for it. So what did happen? Well, he rose again. He was dead. And after three days, he defeated death. And he came alive again and spoke to us. And what change did this bring about in you, Peter? I realized that if Jesus can defeat death, then nothing is impossible. I now have nothing to fear. I also realized that since he is alive right now, and I must tell others that amazing news, death has been defeated. Did you die for your faith, Peter? Yes, I did. I was crucified upside down for testifying about Jesus. All of that, almost all of those initial eyewitnesses of his resurrection died for this message. Although it took several decades for us all to be killed for our testimony.
1: So it's your testimony that Jesus rose again from the dead and that is why you were changed from fear into boldness, is that right? Yes, Jesus is alive. Thank you Peter, you may be seated. I'd like to read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried... That he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, as one born out of due time. Friends, I remember the facts of my volleyball match. I remember the feelings that came with it, and I also know some of the legends and the fables that have come out of it. I'm challenging all of us today, including myself, to relook at these facts. The passage I just read out of 1 Corinthians 15 is where Paul says, This is the gospel which will get you to heaven. And he doesn't talk about fables. There's no Easter bunny. He doesn't talk about feelings at all. He says, these are the facts. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. And now I'm going to list the witnesses. Peter, the apostles, the 500, James, all the other apostles other than the 12, and me. He says, most of us are still alive today. You can go and interview them. And now I'd just like to mention six things that I conclude if Jesus did rise again. If this court case results in a verdict that says the tomb was empty. There is no other explanation other than Jesus rose again from the dead. Even though that sounds impossible. If that is true. Number one. My faith is based not on feelings. Number two. Jesus is who he claimed to be. Jesus claimed to be God himself in the flesh. If he died after having said he would rise again and then he rose again, he is who he claimed to be. He's not just a prophet or a nice teacher or an interesting person. Number three, this physical life. You know what our five senses can perceive and what logic and physics and chemistry and biology tell us is true. This physical life is not all there is because a man could rise from the dead. There is something else. There is another world, another realm, another life. There is a supernatural power that we cannot perceive with our five senses. Number four. He died For me and this is where it gets extremely personal because Jesus said that he was dying for the sins of the whole world I have sinned therefore. I'm in that group He was dying for me for my sins the sins that I committed yesterday today And those I will commit tomorrow were the reason that he was killed and that he rose again number five nothing is impossible if Jesus could overcome death And and it was a real death. I mean the Romans were good at killing people. He had been beaten, starved, no water, uh, mistreated for over 24 hours. He was nailed to a cross and eventually he died. They plunged a spear in to prove he was dead. They wrapped him in cloths with 75 pounds of spices all around him so that even if he hadn't been dead he would have suffocated. They left him in a cold tomb without any medical treatment for three days he died. If he could rise again from that, I promise you nothing you are facing is too difficult for him. Nothing. Nothing. It doesn't matter what you're facing. He can overcome it. What's more, if he rose again then, he's still alive today. As alive today as he was when Mary Magdalene met him. And he wants to meet you and me just like he met her. He wants to have that same impact on us where he says our name and we are melted on the inside. We say, Jesus, you did it. You did it. You did it. And then lastly, there's nothing more important. Nothing that I could spend my life doing is more important than responding to this gift that he's given me and telling others about him. You know, the sad thing about volleyball games is they fade into history. I can't find a single piece of evidence on the internet about my volleyball game. (laughs) You may even think I'm lying. There's nothing. I can call up a couple of friends and say, do you remember that game? And they'll say yes. And they'll have vague recollections. But you know, God has made it such that he has put this evidence in a cast iron case. The ultimate lawyer and the ultimate judge, God himself said, let me put some evidence together in such a way that even 2,000 years later, people can examine that evidence and know there was a man called Jesus. He definitely died. He definitely wasn't in the tomb after three days. What could have happened? Look at all these witnesses. Look at all this evidence. There is a case. And now the verdict, my friends, the verdict is up to you. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Let's stand together. Let's just focus on the Lord. You know, jury duty is a big deal. When people get asked to go and be on a jury, they have to take time off work. It's a, it's a big inconvenience. But they also have to really take it seriously knowing that somebody else's life is in their hands. They are making a decision that will change someone's life forever. They hold all the power. And God has given you, my friend, jury duty. You may not have realized it. You might have thought it's all about Easter eggs and bunnies. I want to tell you today, God has called you up for jury duty. He asks you to raise your right hand and say, will you do your best to come to the right decision? But now I want to tell you, my friend, God is asking you for a verdict. And it's not for somebody else's life. It's for your own. I'm going to ask you to take it seriously today. Lord God, please, would you enlighten our hearts? Please, would you help us to move out of fables and even out of feelings and decide upon these facts, Lord? Please would you help us today to reorganize and realign our lives based on these facts. Because we know that feelings follow facts. And if we get the facts right, everything else falls into line. And Father, I just thank you that you have said that anyone who calls on your name, day or night, wherever in the world they are. If they see what you've done and they call on your name, you will forgive and cleanse, wash us free from all sin and all of our past errors and give us a brand new start. You call us born again if we do that. Father, I pray right now for your spirit to just drench this room and each one of our hearts. Speak to our hearts. And I pray that many will call on your name as we're singing these songs in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources And subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.